As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. You know that there are unforeseen rehab repair budgets that are going to pop up. You have to know that you're going to be able to make money at the end of the day. Otherwise, you're not going to be rehabbing for very long. Best ever listeners, we've got the best ever conference coming up in February. What? February? Yes. I know that's a long way away. But if you want to save on the tickets, then get them now at besteverconference.com because the earlier you buy them, the more money you'll save on them. So go to besteverconference.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Bill Coder. How you doing, Bill? I'm great. How you doing? I'm doing great and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Bill. He is a manager at Kogo Capital, which is a private money company. He's been there four years. It's based in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And we've got the company's contact info. You can just click that link and go check their company out. So that being said, Bill, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah. Background includes eight years as a conventional lender. Started out with HSBC, moved to MetLife, and Moved over to Coco Capital in 2014. In, in the past four years, I've closed over 400 loans with Coco Capital to private money investors who are looking for funding on fix and flip properties or buy and holds. Got it. So what type of loan is your sweet spot? We'll start with that. I would say our niche market, our sweet spot is for the investor who is looking for purchase and rehab funds, typically under $500,000. Anything more than that, we have a lot of due diligence that we have to take care of. But Anything under 500K, we're able to get those funded very quickly with little to no effort. Mm -hmm. What do you do with above 500 that you don't do with below? As far as what we do with loans that are above 500 versus below are, we are very unique in the fact that we sell all of our notes to one-off investors like yourself or myself. So those investors typically don't have an appetite for jumbo-style loans. So we have partner up with other lending institutions out there to get those larger deals funded. Mm. And what about below 500 underwriting? What do you do? Loans below 500, as far as the underwriting goes, what we want to look at is first and foremost, the property itself. We want to know the value of the property and how we determine the value is a full appraisal. So we want to look at both the as is and the after repair value on these properties to determine which loan structure works best for our client. We also want to look at the client himself, him or herself. We want to make sure that they have the capacity to 
service the debt. We want to make sure they have some reserves. We want to see if they have any experience. That always helps. And we also want to look at their contractor, making sure that they have a, a qualified contractor that's licensed and bonded. We find that that definitely expedites their rehab portion. Mm-hmm. Yes, contractors are important. I'd love to dig into each of these categories, the property itself, the client, the experience, and the contractor. As far as the property itself goes, you said you want to get the appraisal for the as-is and after repair value to determine which loan structure works best for the client. So what loan structures do you offer? We can lend both on the as-is and the after repair value. So if somebody's purchasing a property that's got minimal to no rehab required, we're going to be looking at the as-is value most likely. The as-is value is going to get you a little bit better rates because it's less risky for us mm-hmm. to lend on the as-is value since there's no construction. And, if, and when we're looking at the after repair value, we want to take a look at the contractor bid, submit that to the appraiser so the appraiser knows which comps to pull from to determine his value. Okay, makes sense. With the client piece, you said they should have some reserves. Specifically, how much? Specifically, we we require that they have three months worth of payments in an account somewhere that they can show us. So if your payment's $1,000, we want to see $3,000 in in one or all your accounts combined. We also want to see 10% contingency for the rehab so that you can get the project started so that we know that you have enough reserves in case something goes wrong that that you have some funds to contribute to the transaction. And three months of payments for the mortgage or what? Yeah, for the for the note itself. Okay. So they've got to have three months of payments for the note itself plus 10% of whatever the contractor is estimating for the repairs. That's correct. And the 10% contingency for the rehab does not need to be liquid. It can be on a line of credit, for example. Mm-hmm. What about the experience? How much do they need to have? Experience is not required. However, if if you do have experience within the last 24 months and you can show the HUDs when you purchased it and the HUDs when you sold it for a fix and flip, that would give you better pricing. Mm-hmm. What are the ranges? Just giving us an idea of beginner with no experience to someone who's got a couple under their belt in terms of price differences? As far as rates and terms go, we start at 9% in one point and go up based upon the risk associated with the file. I would say our very experienced rehabbers, they're going to be looking at the 9% and one origination points versus our brand new beginner that might be looking at a 12% and three points. Mm-hmm. Got it. And with the contractor, you said make sure they're licensed and bonded. Is that the only qualifier that you look at or do you look at other things? As far as the contractor goes, that's all we require is is that they're licensed and bonded. Now, there are some counties that don't require contractors to have a license, which is fine. That's no big deal. We just need evidence that that's one of the counties. So if it's a contractor who just created his or her company, they have no experience, but they are licensed and bonded, then that would be fine? Yeah, that's correct. No seasoning requirement on licensing or bonding. What's been a tricky loan that you had to work through? I mean, you've done over 400 of them. Can you tell us a story about that? I tell you that every loan is unique and individual in itself, which is why I like the challenge of private money versus conventional. 
one of the most unique transactions that stands out to me is I had a property in Chicago, Illinois, that was in one of the, I guess, rougher areas of the neighborhoods of the town, Inglewood. You guys might have heard of it. Up to no good. Yes, yes. But uh, <laughs> we have some issues with theft. So I had a borrower that went out there and it, and it was a large rehab. He purchased the property for 70000 He was putting in one fifty into it and it was going to be worth four hundred after all said and done. However, every time he would buy materials and bring them on site, there was theft. Somebody would break in and, and steal, whether it was copper pipes, whether it was windows, whether it was drywall. So we actually had to go and redo the loan and budget in for a property manager. So somebody would be there around the clock to make sure that everything stayed on site. And that could be fairly pricey, I think. I don't know how much does a property manager cost around the clock to make sure they would steal stuff. Well, the, the property manager was actually someone that we knew and we had close contact with. He basically just took a percentage of the equity that was when the property was sold. He took a percentage of the profit. So they negotiated out a term on that. Okay, cool. So they ended up being an equity partner. So there's no out-of-pocket cost. The person putting the deal together just made less money. Right, right. We we had to go back and buy more materials, obviously, with the theft. Oh, right. That's true. That's true, yeah. With the over 400 loans, describe the differences in your process from your first loan with this company. I, I With Kogo, you also you had previous experience coming to Kogo, so I get that. But I'm sure your process has evolved from your first loan with Kogo to now over 400. What's the difference in your process? The difference in the process would be just the documents that we require. When I came aboard, we didn't have the structure that we currently do now. We have underwriting guidelines that we never had before. Just general practices to reduce the exposure of us as a lender. We wanted to make sure that our default rates were lower than they, they were when I came aboard. So we put practices and procedures in place to ensure that our default rate was lower for our investors. Those underwriting guidelines, what in addition to what we've talked about comprises of the underwriting guidelines? Previously, when I first came aboard, we didn't require like an EIN letter for your business entity. We do, we do lending to businesses only. So you have to have an LLC, a trust, a self-directed IRA, or a corporation in place for us to do a loan. And when I came aboard, we didn't require the documentation to, to prove that you were, say, the sole member of the LLC or you were the sole member of the corporation. We didn't require documents like the operating agreement that reflects the ownership percentage or bylaws for a corporation that reflected ownership percentage. That's just one example of our underwriting shoring things up and making sure that we can watch our default rate and decrease that default rate. Why would you want the borrower to have an LLC versus borrowing personally? Because I think borrowing personally, you'd be able to go after them if they were to disappear versus LLC. Well, for, us, for us, it's a, it's a licensing issue. We can only lend to LLCs and businesses. For licensing purposes, we can lend in 44 states without having to hang our, our MLO or MNLS license in every state. So it gives us the freedom and, and flexibility to lend in states that we, we don't have anybody or a brick and mortar in place. 
Oh, okay. So this is a bit of a sideways conversation that I'm about to take us on, but or maybe it's just a question. So for someone who wants to lend money to a local fix and flipper, say best ever li- listeners listening, and they're like, oh, this is great. I got some money. I'd like to lend it. I know Samantha, she has a fix and flip. She's always asked me to lend her money, so I'm going to do it. Just someone who's just a regular person, not a lender, other than they just have money, should they adhere to that? Should they only lend to Samantha's LLC and not actually Samantha? No, that, that's up to the individual. I would obviously check with your attorney and right. run the transaction by your attorney first. But that would be up to the individual if they want to lend it out just to Samantha or Samantha's LLC or require Samantha to have an LLC. That's totally up to them. Okay, got it. What's something else that would be helpful for the best ever listeners who are real estate investors to know that we haven't talked about? Some of my best advice that I would give out to investors would be, first and foremost, know your market. Don't just count on your realtor to provide comps for you. Make sure that you do your due diligence, understand your market, and know exactly what you can and can't offer if you're buying a property. So you want to know what the values are. You want to know how to put an offer in that's going to yield you the returns you're looking for. And like I said, you don't want to trust your realtor. Appraisals are far different versus CMAs versus BPOs. The second piece of advice I would say is find a good contractor. The biggest thing I see as far as a lender goes is if that contractor walks or the borrower has a disagreement with the contractor and they have to find a new one, that's always challenging in the middle of trying to get a, a transaction funded or even give them the rehab money that's put into an escrow account for the rehab purposes. Mm-hmm. What is the number one reason why borrowers run into trouble after you lend to them? The number one reason that I see that borrowers run into trouble after the loan has been signed is their budget. They don't have a contingency. Their budget is very, very thin. What I mean by thin is there's not enough room there in case they find some other things that go wrong with the rehab process. You don't know what's behind the walls really until you get in there and and take a look. So what we find the biggest mistakes that, that our borrowers are making is they're not giving themselves enough wiggle room to make additional repairs that are going to be needed on the property. And what's the process with you on that. You just lent to me and I've got my loan. I just tore open some walls, found some stuff, don't like it, didn't have that in the budget. I have that 10% reserve in my bank account, but it's going to be about 50%. So I don't have that 40% difference. Right. I don't know what to do. I call you. What happens? Well, I can tell you right now, there's going to be some issues as far as we need to take a, take a step back and look at this. For us as a lender, we have to protect ourselves. So we have a draw schedule that the borrower or the contractor creates. We have to hold them to the draw schedule because if we don't, it seems they never finish the project. So if they do get inside the wall and they realize that something is, is terribly wrong and they need additional funds to fix that project, I would encourage them to look at possibly if they don't have the money, and they can't borrow it from a friend, family, anybody else, I would encourage them to, to possibly look at getting a personal loan or even possibly some sort of line of credit to 
cover the additional expenses, the unforeseen expenses that happens. It's obviously not the best for the borrower or the lender, but those situations happen. And at the end of the day, we want our borrowers to be successful. We want to make sure that they can get out of these loans. We're not a loan to own program, so we don't want the property back. We want them to be successful and come back to us again and again. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And I know you said some of, to quote you, some of my best advice ever, but I'm going to ask you the best advice and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever is to know your market. You have to know what you can put in as an offer in your market. You have to know how much the rehab is going to cost you before you put that offer in to make sure that you're getting the return on your investment. So the maximum allowable offer is the best piece of advice I can give. Make sure that you know that equation so you know that there are unforeseen rehab repair budgets that are going to pop up. You have to know that you're going to be able to make money at the end of the day. Otherwise, you're not going to be rehabbing for very long. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, we've got the best ever conference coming up in February. What? February? Yes. I know that's a long way away, but if you want to save on the tickets, then get them now at besteverconference.com because the earlier you buy them, the more money you'll save on them. So go to besteverconference.com. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit investthispodcast.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-T-H-I-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more. Best ever book you've read. Best ever book I read, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Best ever transaction you've been involved in. Best ever personal transaction I was involved in was with my second flip. I made 108000 by finishing my basement in my primary residence and staying in there for two years and then selling it. Will you elaborate on that deal? Just tell us a little we, bit more about yeah, it. Yeah, so I purchased a home in Spokane, Washington, right out of college, my second home, and Ended up finishing the basement. It cost me a lot of labor, a lot of friends to come on over and help me. But at the end of the day, I was able to sell it for $108,000 profit. And since I was in it for more than two years, that avoided capital gains for me. Beautiful. Cha-ching. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? First mistake I made on a transaction was my first fix and flip, and I, and I overpaid for it. I didn't know my market. I thought that I could get more on the sale after I, I completed the rehab. So I ended up losing about 25000 on that deal, and that taught me to know my market, which is my best advice I can give. Best ever way you like to give back? The best ever way I like to give back is I like to give my time. We educate a lot of individuals here at, at our corporate office. I like to be able to step in and give my time and help those people and teach them the mistakes that I've made over the years and some of the best practices I've seen from other investors to ensure that they are successful and come back to us. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can call my office, 800-473-6051, or you can shoot me an email. The email address is B-K-O-D-E-R at kogocapital.com. Well, Bill, thank you for talking to us about your expertise, first and foremost, and talking about how you and your team underwrite the deals, the four categories, the property itself, 
the borrower, the experience level of the borrower, so the borrower's cash position, and then the experience level of the borrower, as well as the contractor, and getting into the details and specifics of each of those four categories, as well as the number one reason why borrowers run into trouble on the rare case when that happens, and things we can do to mitigate that from a budget standpoint. And then when pressed into a corner in that scenario, some potential solutions to do. So thank you so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit investthispodcast.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-T-H-I-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more.